0: Welcome to More to Come, P.W. Comic World's weekly podcast on graphic novel and comics publishing, recorded at the P.W. offices in New York City. I'm Calvin Reed, Senior News Editor of Publishers Weekly and Co-Editor of P.W. Comics World. Check us out at publishersweekly.com comics.
1: And I'm Heidi McDonald. I am also Co-Editor of P.W. Comics World, as well as the Graphic Novels Review Editor for Publishers Weekly and the Editor-in-Chief of The Beat at comicsbeat.com.
0: And I'm Kate Fitzsimmons. I'm the podcast producer. And don't forget, you can subscribe to more to come on iTunes and on social media. We're at Facebook.com/slash PWComicsWorld on Twitter. We're at PWComicsWorld and on Tumblr, our newest uh, social media platform, PWComicsWorld.tumblr.com. All right, this week on More to Come, Bill Watterson is back. You know, sort of party, but we're good to see. We're glad to see him. Um, uh, Chuck Dixon. Blacklisted, Uh, that's with a question mark behind it. Uh, Banned Books Week is going to highlight graphic novels this year, and we're going to have the entertainment roundup with a quick look at Ant-Man, the Ant-Man movie, Lauren Faust, uh, and Rocket Raccoon. So, let's get right to it. Bill Watterson, he's back. Sort of. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, sort of. of,
2: (laughs) So, to give you some background, Stephen Pastis does a syndicated comic strip called Pearls Before Swine, which is in your comic pages everywhere. And, um, About a week ago, he did a storyline about his character playing himself being interrupted in his regular script, regular strip production by a uh, precocious second grade girl named Libby, who is convinced that she can draw much better. And indeed, then she does, drawing such things as alligators and attacking spaceships and robots and even cute girls.
0: Familiar and, material. Yes. <laughs> and, One might say, said detective. And, yes. <laughs> comic, and comic book and detective. so apparently
2: the um, requirement that Bill Watterson said, he hit, he said, to Stephen Pence, he said, I'll do it through their, they'd never met, but through their email correspondence, I'll do it, but you can't tell anyone it's me until after I'm done. Until after it's gone live. And so he said, I would have done anything even literally setting my hair on fire in order to get Bill Watterson to draw my strip. As most of us would. As as most people would. (laughs) To
0: to get an email from him. Yeah.
2: So that's what he did. And people were speculating on who the mystery artist was. And some people thought it was some random person doing a really good impersonation of Bill Watterson. But it was the man himself. And... Some people have thought that maybe this presages a return of Bill Watterson to comic strips. But the actual storyline, Libby, the Bill Watterson stand-in, um, uh, let's see, she, she complains that, I could do much better if I had more space.
0: Yes, yes, she's... Uh, he, a-
2: he asks her to draw the strip forever, and she says, nah, it's a dr- dying art form. And then in the um, epilogue comic, drawn by Pastis, he says, you know, Libby, will you come back and draw my comic? And Libby <laughs> says, no, I'm tired of drawing. It's a magical world out there. Well, you know, as in the final Calvin and Hobbes comic, holding a sled and, and being dressed mm-hmm. up for snow. And he's like, it's not even snowing. And yeah, she Rose says, it's a sled, guys. <laughs> and, and, and she says, do I need to hit him over the head with the metaphor? <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Well. Um uh, well you
1: you, you well, know It's absolutely delightful. Yeah, I mean this is sort of part of I mean certainly the most impressive yet, but uh it's it's certainly part of a kind of return for Watterson in, in some ways. I I he also did uh a poster for the stripped documentary yes, yes. And, and, an par- audio, yeah. and an
2: audio interview. Apparently he's done so yeah, he's, an yeah. extensive interview about of, that. for that. He's
0: for a recluse, he's kind yeah. of yeah. in yeah, your he's, face he's, these he's, days. He's, <laughs> he's
2: not really a recluse, he's just an artistic recluse. Yes, so that is say, he's, he's living a normal he's life private. wherever he's, he's living. He's private. Um, but <laughs> it, it seems to imply that if he's returning to do something at some point in the future, it's not going to be a comic strip. Well, story.
1: I think that what it really is, is that he's just making himself a little bit more accessible. And, yeah. uh, you know, we talked about when he was not elected the uh, president of Angoulême. There he won the Grand yeah. Prix, which means you're the president. And, you know, sort of unlikely he will show up to... He, he uh,
2: is, however, drawing he's doing the, the poster. poster. That's mm-hmm. right.
1: You know, he did an interview for uh, the Billy Island Library, which had yeah. a retrospective R- of R- his R- art R- recently. And he had mentioned a lot of the things that were kind of uh, said in this strip about, you know, it's a dying art form and all that sort of stuff. But.
0: Well, he does seem to respond to the yeah. uh, the bottomless love for Calvin and Hobbes that's, that's free-floating out in the yeah. world yeah. right now. So, uh,
2: well, you the, know, maybe
0: we'll see a little bit more of him in the
2: The future. impression I get is, from what I've read, of things he said, in, not even just the script, but things that have leaked out there, is not that he sees comics themselves as a dying art form, but that he's specifically talking about the comic strip. Right, right, yeah. right.
1: Well, I mean, I, I certainly hope that's true because as we know from this podcast, it's anything but a dying hard form.
2: But, uh, yeah. but the strips kind of arguably um, strips in newspapers. Yes. As oh, absolutely. Yeah, no question about that. Pretty
1: much. It's pretty much dead. Although you know, they, pearls before swine. That the, the uh, column. It's about, holding on, man. Well, it's one of the most popular of the yeah. remaining ones. And uh, the uh, website that had the bloddest strips got something like four million hits yeah. over yeah. the weekend after it was revealed. So you know, yeah. there's uh, every, every everyone still, still loves
2: Calvin and Hobbes. Yes. And if he
0: really wants to save the newspaper comic strip, he'd come back and do Calvin and Hobbes. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> I think I think the reason he left is he knew yeah. he couldn't do Calvin and Hobbes the way he had yeah, been doin- doing Calvin I mean, and Hobbes anymore. Newspaper comic
0: strips are absurd. I and
1: mean, you know mean, Waterson left I know before the internet it. guys. Okay, it was 1995, so mm. it was. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't an internet yeah. issue. It yeah. was a.
2: I'm going to leave this comic before yeah. it turns into a zombie comic.
1: No. Yeah. Well, anyway, you know what? Well, we're we're glad to have him back. We're in glad to have him back in any way he comes. Absolutely. Um, you know, why. and not but lying in a ditch. The last of the great newspaper comic
0: strips. Anyway. Uh okay. Uh Chuck Dixon, um, suppressed by the liberal media.
1: Well, you know, I mean, <laughs> well, I, you know what? Well, let me let me back up on yeah, this one. Yeah, so there's a new graphic the, novel the called "The Forgotten Man," a graphic oh, novel yes. history, mm-hmm. which is, are uh, adapted by Chuck Dixon and artist Paul Ravosh from, uh, a prose book of the same name by yeah, Amity Schles and. The uh, premise of the book is a history of the Great Depression about how FDR, you know, was terrible. The New Deal was the worst thing that ever happened to America. And, um, you know, know, basically
2: it's a conservative view. It's a revisionist. Conservative conservative revisionist view of the New
0: Deal. And
1: Calvin
2: Coolidge was the greatest. Well, no, I I will say, Calvin, it's not revisionist. It's what conservatives have been saying since the New Deal happened. Well, it's
0: revisionist in terms of what the mainstream uh, historical... uh, uh, yeah.
2: Re- revisionist yeah. implies a new take but anyway yeah, well, from, yeah. From,
0: and I haven't had a chance to read the book though it, Though I have leafed through it and yeah. it actually looks phenomenal it
1: looks amazing yeah. I, I yeah. mean as I, I've been saying anytime I'm asked about it it's like um You know, I'm not a historian. Uh, You know, I do have my own views. uh, uh, But I certainly am a comics historian. And Paul Ravash did a bang-up job drawing this book. It's absolutely gorgeous. So as a graphic novel. And and Chuck Dixon is
2: an extremely talented comic writer. He actually
1: is. Absolutely. After this graphic novel came out, like... Uh, everyone involved with it has been on conservative websites, from Pajamas Media mm-hmm. to
2: as well uh, National That's the Review audience.
1: and Pajah and uh, now the Wall Street Journal. And in the Wall yeah. Street Journal, Chuck Dixon and Paul Ravash, uh, wrote a piece that was. Uh, and the thrust of these has been very interesting because it's basically saying, "Guess what? The liberals really have tons of comics. We conservatives don't. We got to do something about it."
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, I think, and he was also saying that he felt that it had hurt his career. And I have to say, he has, has said that he doesn't feel comfortable writing gay characters, which, I mean, I'm gay, but fine, fine, he doesn't feel comfortable. And DC did, on several occasions, keep assigning him to books with gay characters, and there aren't that many in the DCU. <laughs> so, it does sort of feel like someone was trolling him. I mean, it's not that hard to find right. a DCU book that doesn't have a gay headliner and they just kept sticking them with them.
1: Right. And,
2: you know, I mean, I like the books, and I like chuck dixon but it was clearly a bad fit he knew it was a bad fit and anyone with half a brain could have told it was a Don't, bad hit dude. so i mean it was, it was he they they put him on um outsiders mm-hmm. they um put him on on one of the authority related books i mean you know he i can see that it is entirely possible that Someone was giving him. But can I yeah. could
1: I jump in here? Was it that he said he was uncomfortable writing gay characters, or was that he felt these stories were inappropriate for younger readers? Well, uh, he, well he, I, okay. I first off, that, or did he say but, both?
0: But I don't know if he said both or not. Yeah, I mean that's what um, I read uh, myself.
2: One, he had said that he felt these stories were inappropriate for younger yeah, readers. Yeah, I know. But he said two, that for sure. he had implied it was not the kind of thing he felt comfortable writing. Okay, and you know. I mean, if that's the way he feels, then I think that it would have been smart for DC not to waste his talent on books that he was not well suited and to. Happy mm-hmm. with doing yeah,
1: yeah. You know, I think that's fair. And, and sure. so
2: I can see that he, I can believe that things were going on behind the scenes that made him feel less comfortable at DC. Well,
1: well what? when did this happen? Actually, when was this? This was like, what, eight years ago, six years ago? Like- well,
2: it went, it went, it went on for several years. I because mean, he had he had originally had a lot of bat books, and he had written them very well. He was the original. I mean, people Harold Gale Simone and she was great, but Chuck Dixon did the original be, run on Birds of Prey, and it was very yeah, very I, good. Yeah, you know,
1: I mean, this actually goes back to my time, a uh, brief period when I was working at DC, which was quite a while ago. But I, I, I mean, it seemed like when I worked at DC, which was back around the turn of the century, um. Every other book was written by Chuck Dixon. I mean, it, it actually was a joke around the yeah, office he, that, you know, let's get Chuck Dixon to write well, it because he was so prolific.
2: He's, he's prolific, and he kept up a very yeah. high quality level he despite did. the number of comics he, he was he writing. He definitely did. He definitely he, did. He did Robin. He did Birds of Prey. Those were the most prominent ones that he yeah. kept on for a long time. And, but he, he was writing a lot of stuff right. for Right, and if I, I can
1: also jump in here at the time, I think there really was a feeling that, you know, any one person who was writing that many books probably wasn't going to continue to write five books a month. Well, yeah. you know, now it happens with Charles Soule, who's writing like it, eight books a month, but you know, even yeah, that's but, not going to last we're, we're forever. Not, we're
2: not talking about needing to continue at that level, but he, he went from writing that many to, over the course of not that many years, to writing hardly any for right, DC. Right. Which is, given that DC often seems like it, like, for example, when the New 52 came out, that they were scrambling to have enough reliable, top-level writers, you know, if... Dixon is willing, and if indeed it's because people feel uncomfortable with him personally because he does not share the political beliefs, then I feel that is a wrong-headed thing to do. I'm not there, but I could. Well, yeah,
1: absolutely. Now, I I mean, what I'm trying to say is,
2: like, um,
1: I could definitely speak to uh you know i don't know i mean you know we were talking about how bill willingham is also i mean he's more of a you know nobody actually will will say oh my god by the way i'm right wing they're all like well you know i'm really a libertarian or i'm well libertarian is different right yes Yes. i know kate i know that that's what i'm saying they don't want to be branded as a conservative well but they're not it's different and what i'm just trying to say is that that there's definitely some people with some different Uh, political leanings. And, uh, you know, when I worked at DC, it was very liberal. (laughs) You know, I mean, it was definitely not a place where a lot of people on staff were all that conservative. Of course, there were some, but, uh, you know, I I, I mean, I I get where where Dixon is coming from. I mean, I think there's probably various different factors in why he doesn't work as much at DC anymore. And And if you look at the writers who have been brought back from that period, They're, you know, mostly friends of Jim Lee or Dan DiDio. I mean, fair enough. I mean, I'm not saying that's even a bad thing. I'm just saying this is, you know, people tend to work with folks that they were comfortable with or, uh, you know, friends of Bob Harris. So, I mean, I don't know. Maybe there is a ban on Chuck Dixon. I'm just saying here's some other factors that could possibly be involved. You know, they went back. Let me put it this way. They went back to Dan Juergens. okay? Yeah. And uh, who is a, you know, long time. Uh,
2: DC mainstay yeah. from the 90s, sure. okay?
1: And he is still doing things. He's working on the, yeah. the DC villains right. kill everybody but, thing.
2: But what what I'm saying is that <laughs> if... Go. It, well, let's put it this way. If, if you're... if it's, it's not that they're com- bringing in a completely new guard. They are keeping people like Juergens on. And it just... It does seem unusual that that he hasn't been... I mean, yeah. It feels like there's... The management is not as comfortable with him as maybe as some Dan,
1: of their favorites, well, as Dan Jurgens, yeah, that's for sure, you know. <laughs> but uh, yeah,
0: it's hardest. I mean, I we don't I know, we, we don't know, know the but the scenes, I would yeah. not, I would
2: not say that he's completely off the mark. I mean, it might be true, yeah. but well, maybe. I will say
0: this that the 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 essay in the Mary Sue, actually, the Mary Sue, I thought was actually quite good, which because it also addressed the essay that that he and reverse wrote in the Wall Street Journal. Uh, and it kind of looked at some of his arguments and I thought made a very clear case for, yeah, perhaps, you know, in, a liberal, in the liberal publishing world, comics to books, you know, maybe there was a little bit of bias there. On the other hand, the guy has a long history and, and some, of his, um, some of his points in the essay are kind of crocked. Yeah. both things can be true the,
1: yeah and I mean in the essay he was basically pining for the comics code yes, you know well, I mean, like he the... was saying that, that if on. only we bought back the comics you know if only the comics he says the comics in the 90s the comics industry weakened this is a direct quote the comics industry weakened and the comics code was allowed to go away and you know basically what this whole essay was about is like you know won't someone think of the children I mean it was totally were them r- redux and I mean you know I mean, the guy is smarter than that. He knows that half yes. of the comics being published in the 90s were not under the comics code. Yeah. So
2: well, I, I think, but the thing is that when... And we also are well, living in, a, in probably a renaissance for yes, kids' comics exactly. right now. There's more, more kids than, kids than comics, there ever were. Well, well, I mean, I actually, I think I know where he's coming from on this. And while I don't 100% agree with him, I think it's not quite as stupid as it sounds on the surface. In that <laughs> before the comics code left, a lot of the mainstream superhero books were actually readable by all ages, even if they weren't marketed as all-ages books. Since then, the average superhero comic from Marvel and DC is not readable by people under, say, 15, without issues. And so, if you are primarily a superhero guy, and if you don't want to write, like, the Kitty book for five-year-olds, you may feel... That an era of, of superhero comics, specifically superhero comics, in which, you know, you could have your mainstream book with a hard-hitting plot where not everybody was getting raped all the time was a thing. You know, you may hark back to that era and wish it was that.
1: Well, you know what? Uh, didn't the uh, original issue of Green Lantern, didn't that come out under the Comics Code with the woman in the refrigerator? I'm pretty sure that was. But, well, it did. Yeah. But yeah. I mean... So, so I mean, but, you but, know but, but I mean? Like, but like the, if things were grim and gritty long before the Comics Code being, well, yeah, the comic book industry weakened.
2: Yeah. But, I mean... <laughs> I mean, I will say, uh-huh. I think that after people stopped working about the Comic Code at all, more comics went to a dark place more often because they felt they could. Mm-hmm. And that may not be a bad thing, but it's a thing that happened.
0: Well, actually, I mean, a lot of people have made that point uh, in a more cogent way than what seems to be happening here with yeah with I mean,
2: I think he made the argument badly, but mm. I don't think it was a completely stupid argument.
1: Well, I, I agree it's not a stupid argument, but um, I would also say it's certainly not a political one. I think you need to look at the people who are making the comics. And, you know, that's what I'm trying to say here. I'm trying to say that there's more of a personal idiosyncrasy behind some of these things than any kind of blanket uh, policy. And, you know, yeah. the one thing that they were most agitating, and actually Anthony Schley's, uh, however you say her name, I have no idea, <laughs> uh, was agitating for in her National Review piece, is that there need to be more conservative comics to balance this out. He, it, it, Kind of what they were saying, actually, is that we're losing, losing the children because Persepolis is being taught in school. So, and you know what? I I'm I think that's actually a pretty smart argument to be made. You know, well, So if you want to make conservative comics well, of conservative topics, you know, well, expand I mean, your audience. I mean, I, I
2: will say that there were, you know, a, a number of examples in the last 10 years or so of certain comic writers feeling freed to write comics that, didn't so much have a liberal subtext as a liberal text. right? Um, and, you know, to pretty clearly, for example, a very infamous Captain America comic to, for example, the um, rather lame, in my opinion, not for political reasons, just for whatever reasons, pre-New 52 comic in which Superman renounces his American citizenship so oh, he right. can be a citizen of the world. Yes, yeah, so apparently. That I mean, sort he, of its not out. enough that he's from another sort of, planet. Yeah, that was written that by the great David too. S. Goyer, just yeah. to point that yeah. out. Yeah. Oh God. Oh, yes. God. Why am I not surprised? Uh, so whoa. you know, so I I can see that you know it might feel like comics have gotten a little more po- politicized. Now you could argue they weren't, but I could see how how Chuck Dixon might feel that. Yeah. And and I think it is not. Unreasonable for if, if people find someone who wants to publish it, for people to go, you know, hey, let's get out there and write comics that we would enjoy or that we think, you know, would, would give some kind of counter narrative to people who aren't like us being the only ones writing the
0: stories.
1: Right, right, right. And, uh, you know, well, hey, I, like, like I said, the more that's a fair... comics, the yeah. better. Yeah, like, yeah. Hey, I, yeah so. So. I mean, I, I just want
0: fair. to make some good comics. Yeah. hey bring them on yeah, yeah
1: and, I, <laughs> and as i try to you know i think the forgotten man is a good comic yeah you know? i might and, not agree with its history yeah. but yeah. it's exactly. a beautiful yeah. comic yeah. Yeah. yeah and you know the publisher it's a uh, little harper collins, uh, they harper published collins? Yeah. The, yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah yeah i haven't read it but i did flick through it and and i was impressed yeah. uh it, so you
2: yeah know. and and i mean what i was going to say earlier in the podcast is is chuck dixon is not worse than scott card his politics yes. do not lead him to write terrible comics yeah that you or I would not want to read, they, uh, they may inform his sensibility, but they do not, in my opinion, hinder his art. Yeah. And yeah. so, you know, if there are more comics by Chuck Dixon, great. You know, Kate as someone who them. writes
0: about general book publishing, I mean, uh, and we, we do cover, you know, Regnery Press and some of yeah. the others and, and various conservative imprints at the big trade houses. I, I don't recall a, a graphic novel proposal coming through any of them. <laughs> so you know, yeah. put up or shut up. Yeah,
1: I mean, what we have here <laughs> is like the Warren Commission and uh, yeah, right, and healthcare you know. reform. And, yeah, exactly. And, yeah, uh, yeah. You know, uh, affordable books just, healthcare. Yeah, you affordable know? healthcare. A couple yeah, of books just so came out on global. The liberals warming, are getting it done. So, they're doing. You
0: know. They're doing uh, thoughtful, trenchant, uh, polished uh, uh, comics work for a new generation of comics readers. I did mean, so, listen.
1: If any of you conservative uh, uh, graphic novel people are out there, I just you know Benghazi the graphic novel. Okay? <laughs> you know, I'm just saying. I'm just saying.
0: You know, there's probably it's a, a publisher. It's a natural. Go for it. Go for it. (laughs) And you know what? We'll talk about it on more to come. (laughs)
1: Kate, are you a Chuck (laughs) Dixon fan?
2: I am a Chuck Dixon fan. I loved original Birds of Prey. And it does burn me up when people say, oh, it was created by Gail Simone. I mean, I love Gail Simone. But there were like a good, solid four to six years of Chuck Dixon, Birds of Prey. That was awesome awesome
1: uh, uh, Chuck Dixon of course uh, created Bane uh, the big mm. Batman villain uh, I, you know he's definitely he's a good a, writer you know, one of the top top guys of the 90s he really had a huge huge uh, impact and, on DC and he
2: was not overrated
1: no no not at all I think that's fair right. to say
2: yeah,
0: So, alright right. so uh, ban books week yeah banned Books novels Week. well are speaking are of which we're banning
1: the forgotten man uh, we're banning comics <laughs> by Chuck Dixon uh, no uh, well you know just to get back to our own liberal bias uh, this year, every, every year, there is uh, banned books, yes. uh, which is... Uh, it's p- in
0: September. Now, uh, usually, uh, this year, I think it's September 21st through uh, 27th. Uh, obviously, the Comic Book Legal Defense Fund will be working. I mean, they work with Banned yeah. Books Week every year. But this year, they're obviously, they're going to have a heightened presence uh, because uh, you know, the, the, uh, or the, the movement... Actually, I forget who exactly organized um, Ban Books Week. Was it the American Library Association? It's
1: not the ALA. It's an offshoot yeah. organization. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, or no. it was at yeah. the
0: National Coalition Against Censorship. I believe
1: it is the National Coalition yeah.
0: Against uh, anyway, Censorship. This is and an and annual... they're
2: working with the CBLDF Yes, they're year.
0: working closely. with. They w- actually work with them every year, but this year they're going to be working yeah. very closely since graphic novels and comics is a uh, theme. are really going to be highlighted. Um, uh, uh, you know, I don't know offhand the variety of stuff, but usually there's a variety of activities events all focusing on um, yeah there your us- first amendment right yeah
1: there's usually posters that go into bookstores Absolutely. and libraries talking about banned books week. Yeah. and uh, you know unfortunately this is a, a pr- I think it's sort of a, a propitious time for graphic yes. novels to be the focus. Um, I mean they've all often been among the most challenged books in libraries but last year uh, two arguably three graphic novels were among the most or two were among the most challenged uh, Captain Underpants. The most yes. challenged book in library. Yes, you know. Because Underpants. underpants. Yes, yes,
0: yes. And uh, Bone, uh, which yeah. most
1: challenged because I have no... I have no clue. clue I have no clue. I cannot Bone. figure I out mean, why. Can, uh,
0: Bone has been on the, the, uh, the one of the top titles on the band list going back years. And just, it's
2: also been on one of the top titles for books recommended by librarians yeah, it's, for yeah. young people. It, it,
0: it's, it's some weird, uh, you know... Incredible! I, I have no idea. Yeah. <laughs> I mean,
1: I don't know. Is it like Unique position. The, I mean, I think he even took out when the, they were smoking, right? Didn't he take out some of the cigars? I think he might have taken out some of the cigars. Yeah. Is it really? yeah. yeah you know, there might be
2: some cigars in there, but I mean, like, really? I, I think mean, kids I mean, know too. what a cigar I mean, looks I mean, like. Come, come on. on people.
1: You know, and I mean, other books that are have been banned in various ways are challenged. <laughs> a fun Home, of course, Persepolis. Especially this fun year. Fun Home yeah, has really uh, gotten hit yeah, hard this year. Yeah, though. yeah. And, and, you know, it's not going away. Anyway, I think this is a really... Pro, really propitious time, and yeah. uh, and um, you know, not that. And we, kudos them to them for for yeah for yeah. highlighting. Yeah, definitely. So. Graphic
0: novels at this time.
1: Um. Okay.
0: Yeah. Uh. Whoop, I lost my train lost of your thought. It. Uh. Entertainment roundup. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. So Camp Man, uh, yes, yeah. Oh. Ant Man. Yes. The Ant Man. cant Man. Man. Um. Uh. I was incredibly depressed to hear that Edgar Wright will not be directing Ant Man. Uh. I don't see any reason. To even continue to talk about it. (laughs) But convince me otherwise. Well, okay.
2: (laughs) Um, One thing is that there's a very strong bit of Marvel Kremlinology going on online (laughs) where people people are speculating that given that Kevin Feige had said publicly and other Marvel people had said publicly six months ago that the only reason they're doing Ant-Man is Edgar Wright, that... (laughs) The reason why Marvel is still doing Ant Man now that they don't have Edgar Wright is that they would feel they would lose face.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: They feel that it would it would be bad for their image if and it would give other directors the feeling they had more of a hold over Marvel if they just admitted they didn't want to do it anymore and stopped. So instead, out of sheer stubbornness, they're gonna goddamn make Ant Man anyway.
0: We yeah. don't care whether anybody goes to see it or not.
1: <laughs> and uh, you know they do have um, they do have a director.
2: Yes,
0: uh, they have
1: someone whose name none of us remembers offhand. Yeah,
2: no, I'm uh, that. I no, defer no, To my two colleagues,
0: yeah, well, uh, I have this oh. the down movie talk. Down somewhere. <laughs> I'm uh, uh, Peyton
1: Reed.
2: Excuse me, it's Peyton Reed. Peyton Reed, uh, he and he... he did bring it on. Bring it on.
0: The cheerleader movie. Actually, I got I to admit, I kind of like that movie. <laughs> it's not
2: a bad movie, <laughs> but Especially it does feel like, like they're reaching. <laughs>
0: you don't don't listen.
1: we've I think we talked about this briefly before but uh, Edgar Wright's love of Ant-Man obsession with Ant-Man predates the Marvel universe it does he first
2: it's documented that he first suggested it to Feige in at Comic-Con of 2004 and
1: 10 years 10
2: years ago and the deal was signed that they would attempt to put it into production in 2006 so this is 8 years that they've been officially working on it 10 years unofficially So, uh, Edgar Wright, who is not just a director, he's a writer director, had been very attached to this movie and very attached to this script. But it
1: seemed that Kevin Feige was as well.
2: Yes. Well, uh, apparently, from.
1: They say.
2: From all the inside rumors which leaked, I mean, the official statement from both Wright and Marvel was just that it was an amicable split. They're not working on the movie together anymore. Mm. The end. Was that. Marvel said, oh, we just want to send it in to some of our low-level in-house writers just for a little touch-up to make it fit the Marvel universe better. And Wright said, okay, show me the script when you're done. And that they had actually changed it a great deal, enough that even if it were, let's put it this way, maybe maybe not that many words they changed, but enough of the characters or something at the heart of the movie that he feels that it was no longer the same script. He said he hated it, and he left as of may 23rd and that marvel was not expecting this that they had a big scramble trying to find somebody well,
1: you know just fyi i mean when he exited marvel said oh we already have a director
2: and then they did and then
1: obviously they didn't because but you know you know listen i'm sympathetic to both sides of this and you know i'm i'm a huge Edgar Wright fan as i'm sure we all are uh, but guess what? You I like don't, him. I don't think Marvel movies are meant to be directed by auteurs. Uh, yeah, I, and, yeah. and I compared this in a post that I wrote about it. And uh, a Deadline also posts uh, compared it, but, You know, James Bond movies. Let's face it, we don't really care who directs a James Bond movie. They're all yeah. very formulaic, and we love it.
2: Well, I mean, love it. Well, no, I would. I would actually argue that it does matter who writes a Marvel movie. More than it matters who who writes any movie. No, (laughs) but but I mean, it it really matters who writes a Marvel movie because Avengers was written by Joss Whedon and it very clearly was a Joss Whedon script and the script was a lot of what made it work as well as it did. And, you know, some of the Marvel movies that were written by lesser lights have not done as well, comparatively speaking, at the box office and have not been, comparatively speaking, as beloved. Right. And so you roll the dice when you take a less experienced writer.
1: Well, I, I mean, I think, I mean, we've all been on here talking about how much we loved Captain America, the
2: Winter yes. Soldier. Yes, and which so obviously, that was, that was uh, a winning dice right, roll, uh, as opposed to well, Thor, which but, was uh, a but, loser. But
1: the Winter Soldier, obviously, Joss Whedon had done some punch-up on it because there was some very Whedon-esque moments in there. And he, you know, what he is doing at Marvel is doing little touch-ups here and there on some of their other movies. And and I just just want to point out that, you know, Whedon Instagrammed or Twittered his solidarity with Edgar Wright holding up the Cornetto, which I found
2: very interesting. Hmm. Yes, I think Whedon is secure enough in Marvel that he knows he can do that, and they're not going to toss him for doing it. Right. Uh, Um, And, you know, even a Whedon tweet cannot fix a terrible script as witness Thor too yeah yeah um so so i mean i feel like if marvel didn't want a chores they should have admitted that to themselves instead of trying instead of treating the script of a writer director as opposed to just a director the way they would treat a script by just a regular director um you know i mean if, if it was a bad fit then they shouldn't have pushed forward and I mean, they should, I mean, they should have known this wasn't something they could pull Well, right. you
1: know, sometimes you just think you can make it work if you just keep plunging on. Well, it's not true. Well, in,
2: in, to, true. in support of Kevin Faggy, um, it, again, leaks suggest strongly that it was not, it was not Faggy behind it. Yeah. Moving on.
1: Anyway, you know, I, I, I don't happier news. Uh, this is actually has little to do with comics, but uh, but um, uh, Lauren Faust, who is an animation director, or she kind of developed My Little Pony. Uh, she has been signed to direct a full length feature film for Sony, uh, Medusa, written co written by my friend Todd Alcott. So I'm uh-huh. very excited. Yeah. about Yeah. Well,
2: but, and and to clarify things, she was not just sort of involved in. My Little Pony. She was the, show, the driving force behind. She She's was the showrunner. Yes. She came up with the idea. She took a property which, I'm sorry, I loved original My Little Pony the, the toys as a little kid. But even as a four year old, I thought the television show was terrible. And if four year old pony obsessed me thought it was a bad cartoon, it was a really bad cartoon. So she managed to turn that into a hit, which even has a sizable male audience. Um, and <laughs> Which, which and let's not even there. Me, let's not go there, let's not even on. go there. Well, but it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a very well-conceived and written show. She went on to do uh, Super Best Friends Forever, a series of shorts for DC, um, which, I mean, I don't know. I, it is a missed opportunity, DC, to not capitalize on that more because they have often said, oh, well, you know, little girls seem to always want to buy, like, Wonder Woman t-shirts and things. I wonder what we should do about that. <sighs> Jesus Missed opportunity, guys. Yeah, well,
1: you know, but, I, I... Well, go ahead. And but it, anyway,
2: but Sony has picked up what other studios have put down and have given Lauren Faust a, you know, not straight to video, a theatrical, full-length animated movie to direct for the big screen. And, um, you know, based on... You know mythological stories and so on, and Faust herself said that it, it went through because Sony felt that there's a a uh, push for and a success for um, stories about girls. About well,
1: have they looked at the box office well, returns lately? I mean, they hello. did. Frozen that was a huge hit. That you know, Maleficent, Disney's but Maleficent's been a huge hit. You know, basically obviously the stars are you know with that John Green movie I can't remember the title of.
2: <laughs> show me, show me.
1: It's not a comic. I don't know yeah, anything yeah. about it. Fault in Our Stars is a huge hit. <laughs> well, uh, so, Fault in Our Stars doesn't really fit wait, the, that okay. mold, but still. Uh, But, but what more. I'm trying to say is that, but it's also female driven at the same yeah, Female driven. There was 75 percent females went to see it the opening weekend. So what I'm trying to get at here is that you know. You'd have to be idiots not to see that yeah. female driven entertainment. And instead yes, of it giving works. it to guy. another guy, they've given it to an actual yeah. member of the Target demo. And, and you know what?
2: And who has really a cool. kudos really kudos cool. and who has a proven track record yeah. with the pro yeah. 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 So yeah. I'm looking forward to it. Yes, you do well,
1: so. let's yeah, yeah, let's hope that she gets to direct it. Because um, unfortunately Sony has a history of bouncing
2: yeah. a lot of directors. But, but you know
1: what? But you know what? If they do, we'll be back to pan it.
2: Right. <laughs> so uh, and linked to comics and movies. Um, while the Guardians of the Galaxy comics are not doing amazing gangbusters in the comic store, Rocket Raccoon, as drawn by Scotty Young...
1: Well, you know what? This is, like, the next big thing. I mean, this is, you know, we were just, you know, ragging on Disney a minute ago, and this is why I was saying that, you know what... It is like James Bond, because you know they finally figured out like here is a superhero that is a cute raccoon. But what it, does Disney? What does Disney do? We sell cute animated animals, and like so part, so yeah. this obscure joke character for the Marvel U has been given the biggest push forward. You know they just released a poster for Guardians of the Galaxy that was nothing but Rocket and Groot, and uh, <laughs> there's already I just got in the mail actually a PR from Disney that where they're doing this you are the Guardians of the Galaxy promotion where you go to Disney stores and you show that you're a hero and all this sort of stuff and in the world of comics they're doing a rocket miniseries that somehow sold pre-orders 300,000 copies
2: well I can Disney even Disney (laughs) Marvel was surprised they were not expecting to sell that uh, official PR from Marvel says that they had expected it to do well (laughs) but not to do better than the regular Guardians of the Galaxy title and they were extremely surprised with such a hit and indeed, there had been Rocket Raccoon like one shots and so on that had not done gangbusters at the bo- at gangbusters sales wise. But this one, uh, I think, hit a sweet spot. It had a trusted, wacky creator, well known for doing things like this, Scotty Young, and I think I think it hit a sweet spot. I think yeah. it was it was not just that he is a beloved but obscure previously um, Marvel character. It's that it was a good character creator fit and a good tie-in with the movie, you know, and people were yeah, ready for it. Absolutely. It was just well, the absolutely, thing.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. And I, I mean, you know, Scotty Young has previously done the Oz adaptations for Marvel, which sold really well in yes, uh, yeah, in book form. You it. know, I mean, he is absolutely a proven commodity and an amazing artist. So, and uh, my faith
2: with Frankie was awesome. Uh, yes,
1: that was great. Um, also, so but I, I, but you know, just to to kind of put a bow on this uh you know this is a moment this is really a moment and i mean i think what we're seeing here is uh you know in the olden days there was absolutely no way without social media that rocket raccoon would be getting and scotty young would be getting this kind of response well yeah and i I mean i think that it is a it's a testament to you know whether you want to call tumblr culture or new readers or whatever the changing demographics of comics
2: uh, I, i think it's it's a testament to the fact that a lot of comics media is now comics reader driven. Yep. Absolutely. That it's it's not like you just sit back and wait for the press release to come in and you might miss it. Here, you know, someone out there who has fallen in love with Rocky Raccoon is gonna let and Scotty Young is gonna let you know that this comic is coming and get you hyped for it. Um and that it's not Marvel and Disney are pushing it and they are. But Disney was also and Marvel were pushing a lot of in my opinion, missing the point, Guardians of the Galaxy stuff that didn't catch fire like this. Um, and so I think it's it does prove that there's an audience, but you yeah. have to do it right.
1: Well, you have a movie that has five stars. One of them is a wrestler. One of them is a green girl. One of them is a regular guy. And one of them is a tree. And one is a talking raccoon. So you tell me which one is the most... <laughs> <laughs> well,
0: and on and on that note, and on that note, let's move on to the brief. The
1: most toyatic. There you go. The most toyatic.
0: <laughs> yes, okay. It sounds like there's going to be lots of toys in our future.
2: Oh yeah.
0: Uh, and, you know, and, and uh, uh, the, go ahead with the brief. I want to add one brief. Um, Why don't you add one brief, want, Calvin? Should I just do it right? Yeah, yeah. Just yeah, do it, it right briefs. now. It, this, this may not be a big share thing, share this but with us, but, Calvin. Uh, um, uh, you know, Dynamite had a, a um, uh, announced a, a deal uh, just this week basically where uh, they aim to the deal with five different best-selling novelists um, to do graphic novel adaptations. I mean, Dynamite um, Entertainment, they they—they they, they do a lot of adaptations. Uh, and this is a good group. Uh, Who's on it, Calvin? Um, Brandon Sanderson, uh, a, uh, I believe he's a fantasy novelist. He is indeed. Uh, he took the...
2: over from Robert Jordan.
0: Yeah, yes. As a matter of fact, he finished the uh, Wheel of Time series, right? Yeah. Yes. And he's got an unpublished a trilogy called um, White Sand. They're going to be adapting that into a graphic novel. Uh, Dean Kuntz, uh, they are going to be adapting, I think, three of his novels, Frankenstein, Fear Nothing, and Nevermore, into a series of graphic novels, I, mm-hmm. I think. Uh, Patricia, Patricia Briggs continues oh. her uh, adaptations uh, with, yep. an, uh, with a new one based actually on, I think, a short story, but it's going to feature, obviously, the Mercy Thompson shapeshifting character. Uh and uh, Jim Butcher, so there'll be more Dresden Files graphic novels. But I'm particularly interested in <laughs> they've acquired the novels <laughs> the Shaft <laughs> novels of <laughs> Ernest the late Ernest Oh, no. So um they, you that might make very good comics. You know, you should
1: have really cued me and I would have played a you know, a little dooner. Well
0: look we all love shaft Shaf was' is the hugest thing I can remember from my adolescence. Um. Uh. Both the movie uh, and the soundtrack by uh, Isaac Hayes. So it was uh, a great soundtrack. Yeah, it was always. It's you know, a, they have announced soundtrack a, for the a, ages. A
1: writer for the comics wouldn't it be cool if somebody like Brandon Easton wrote it. I, yeah, I, I, Eisner nominated Brandon Easton. Yeah, that's I mean so they cool. haven't. I hope you're listening. I, I have to say because they
0: haven't actually named creative teams for the vast majority well, we're of just these just books.
1: Just plant this seed. So
0: yeah, so m- why not? So anyway, uh, that's uh, that is leaped out at me. I I, I think yeah. Because, oh, uh, it should particularly because I will say this. Not only are they going to do the graphic novel uh, adaptations of selected works. But they're actually going to bring all of the novels, the prose novels, back into print. Oh, nice. So, uh, on top of everything else, uh, it, it's a, Get that a, a right very interesting publishing, publishing proposal. So, um, there you go. Dynamite Entertainment, bringing it home to you.
2: Well, speaking of old classics coming back that we never would have suspected, the um, Alan Moore Marvel Man, retitled Miracle Man, has finally hit print and reprints. Miracle Man, Volume 1 is in your local comic book stores at this very moment. So if you have always wondered what the early days of Alan Moore were like, you can go out and buy it.
1: You know, it seems like few people actually did wonder because they had already downloaded them from uh, BitTorrent because the sales <laughs> on these books have been a little less than expected. Well, but, but anyway. Th- well, but <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the well. thing
2: is that Marvel had fa- false alarm, Marvel Man a lot, uh, uh, Miracle Man, and had put out <laughs> a lot of, how shall we put this, less modern, appealing, early, pre more Miracle Man stuff before, which I think stole some thunder and lost some people. Because I think if you start with Mick Anglo instead of Alan Moore, it's, you know, it's just kind of not as aging as well. Hmm. Um, so it doesn't surprise me. I think they should have brought it out for San Diego Comic-Con, and I think they should have trumpeted it there, and I think it would have stole better. But, you know, oh, well.
0: Okay, well, there's um, certainly been volumes written on the legal battle. That's yeah, for sure. and
2: Alan Moore did not help things by not wanting anything to do with it. So you know, you're not going to get any PR from him on the subject because he's pretending that never happened. He's too cool you know, for that. You know, now. next time we
1: should talk about Alan Moore uh, doing web comics. Actually, oh, so that's more right. information. Yeah. But you know yeah. what? I will read yes. up on that and we'll we'll chitter chatter about that next yeah. time. Next yes. brief. Next time.
2: Yes. Um, but speaking of inspiration, uh, the anime Love Live, which is very popular, it's, in its second season is is facing accusations of stealing inspiration. They um, lifted entire scenes of Glee for one episode <laughs> of the show, shot for shot and dialogue for dialogue, and thought no one would notice. Unfortunately, the episode had aired in Japan, and Glee does have Japanese fans, so they picked (laughs) right up on it. Oh, awkward. And so some people are arguing that it doesn't count because Glee steals songs. No, sorry, theft is still theft. And some people are arguing that it doesn't count because it's animated and it's an homage even though they didn't cite it uh and
0: i uh, you know it's a secret homage
2: it's a secret homage a secret uh, homage no that's not how homage is. plagiarism
0: work. but there you go yeah
2: yeah it's a reverse lebooth
0: yeah well
2: but um <laughs> all very embarrassing and easily caught pro tip guys if you're going to steal from something don't steal from a nerd favorite yeah, yeah
1: well at least it's not a Remember when uh, Gene Simmons' son stole what was it like? Yeah, ba- uh.
2: Dory. Well, he I stole can't... from Bleach. Yeah, right. You can't steal he whole bleach. panels from Bleach. Yeah, right. Everybody's seen Bleach. Was that? Yeah, like anyway. he's not even a very smart thief. Yeah, swipe file. <laughs> yes. See. Oh, yes. And Japan is is actually doing something smart legally after um, certain legal squabbles over the last few years about manga and whether it counts as child pornography with the Tokyo Prefecture. There's now a national strengthening of their child pornography laws and they are explicitly not including anime and manga in this because they say these laws are to protect real children and to limit the uh, images of real children and comic and cartoon characters are not real children. So therefore, um, your anime and manga is safe. Yeah, no, because they, they
1: because if they got rid of Moe, there'd
2: be
0: <laughs> 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 the panic whole, in the streets, yeah, panic in a Hakabara. Yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah.
2: yeah. <laughs> well, and and because um, due to certain Japanese art styles, it can be genuinely hard to tell what age the characters are supposed to be. So I could see that it would lead to a lot of kerfuffles. And this was just the smart thing to do. Mm
1: Mm-hmm. But you're my teacher. That's my favorite.
2: <laughs>
0: yeah. So. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, Japan. I think oh, that pretty Japan. much says it all. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> yes. Uh, you know, we have
1: one. Uh, you, you know, I had a little brief here, uh, Kelvin, oh, uh, okay? uh, sure. uh Viz has gone to comic oh, yeah, yes, yeah, time. Yeah, oh, right. yeah, oh, yeah. 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 yeah I
0: should forget that. Uh, yeah. I mean, um, for many of us, this was sort of kind of waiting for the other shoe to drop. I mean, uh, last year. Uh, actually was it at uh, New York Comic Con or uh, I forget exactly but sometime last year actually it was Comixology signed a deal uh, with Viz to distribute their manga in Europe uh, through their French language um, visit, Viz's French yeah. language subsidiary um, it's, it's kind of been a matter of time uh, part of this is to make sure that um, as was told to me I think in an interview actually at a recent interview at BEA <clears throat> with, uh, with some of the Viz executives that they were actually waiting for comicsology to actually to have a manga fixed format, so that you can read them from right to left. Ah. Uh,
1: that was clearly that
0: was a uh, that was clearly. They feel very so, strongly about that. So they really needed to to kind of have a a, a, a dry run. I think Europe probably provided that. And I think uh, one of the things that Layla Acker told me um, also in a, a long ago interview uh, was that they're going to actually be rolling out more and more. Um, comics in other sectors, including North America. So this is a big, this is a big yeah. move. It's a big uh, move for the category for manga uh, to be on Comic Shop. Yeah, and
1: uh, among them, uh, Naruto. Um, yes, yeah, uh, and One Piece, One Piece, and, uh, all your favorites. all the biggest, you know, uh, manga Bakuman. Manga.
0: Yeah, um, they're, they're rolling out with about five hundred uh, Viz series, they're going to add more uh, as the year goes on. I think Viz has more than twenty five hundred series, so. Uh, yeah. Eventually, you'll be able get. You'll be able to get them all but, through comicsology, but, but
1: not. But you're my teacher, not published by uh, <laughs> Viz. So sad.
0: Oh, Maybe not. How will we live without uh, it? What's the? I forget. What's the girl? Girl. Manga category Yuri Yuri Yuri, yes Yuri. So, uh, we, well, we Yuri and Yaoi. Well, yeah. actually,
2: there's a lot of Yuri and Yahweh out there, and oh, yeah, 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 there's
0: quite a bit. I mean, there's not necessarily well, there's actually quite a bit of um, Viz Yaoi, but it's published kind of in a in
2: the sub sublime... they give it a different name, yeah, they give so it a different that, name in so a, a kind no, of a separate so company. so that no one is surprised when the pants fall down,
0: yes, yes, so which you can was get a it. good marketing yes. move. So, that's quite interesting because you, you don't see the Yaoi or Yuri on Comixology and maybe we never will
2: well, we'll see. Do, do they mean? sell it at well, Amazon? I, I will say that actually most Yuri is very PG-13. Yeah. It's just girls kissing with all their clothes yeah. on. So, I mean, I don't think Comixology would really have a problem with it. They just yeah. haven't made a deal with Comixology at this time. <laughs> yeah.
1: Do they do... But, do, um, you know, my question is, do they sell... They sell Yaoi on Amazon, so I think you yeah. probably... Oh, yeah. You can you can buy
0: all com- your Yaoi yes. yes. favorites yes. on Amazon. Sure it's yeah. not sure going to be a problem. Because,
1: you know, Comixology is owned by
2: Amazon. So. Yes. Yeah. 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 So, um. Um, but...
0: But... <laughs> Big move for manga.
2: But more uh, big moves digitally also involving comicsology. DC Comics has announced that they are going to give their um, staff freebies out in a new manner now. Comps, yeah. Mm -hmm. They're comp comp copies of all DC Comics, which they give to DC employees. They're going to continue to give them out, but they're going to give them in digital form. So all DC... (laughs)
0: Uh, employees. Well this
1: was D C didn't
2: announce this. This was a rumor yes. on a website. But it sounds very plausible, so
0: <laughs> Yeah, this was kinda of came out yeah. to oh, you know it what has you come know what out. website. Yeah. <laughs>
2: it has come out that um D C is going to be giving their employees comicsology accounts and these will be automatically filled up with everything that DC does and that they can then access their comics uh digitally, thus lowering production costs. And also lowering clutter in the DC comics offices.
0: Yeah, why would you want to find comics laying well, around in a comic Well,
2: This is really like, part <laughs> of a
0: much
1: longer, longer story, but because uh it it became a big problem. I mean yeah. it's still to this day. It was when I worked there, it was when I visited there, and I hear it still is well, to this heck? day that you get as it is in our own office. Yes, just in walk our own the office. We <laughs> we're get just, we're we have swamped. when you get these comics.
2: They just pile up, yeah. and yeah, you can't do. get rid of them. It's like you know kudzu. You yeah, know? well, it's, it's comic people are comic hoarders. Yeah, and if doubt. you're trying to keep your comic offices relatively tidy, giving them an infinite supply of things to hoard is counterproductive. But you know,
1: there actually was uh, because there were scandals in the past about uh, employees selling their comp copies, and so then you were not allowed to even sell them. So of course what you the became are you a hoarder. To do with them? So what <laughs> the hell? I guess donate them so to charity. You, you're literally yeah, well. supposed to throw them out. So you know know what i have a feeling i mean i don't know the inside of this this story but well, i'm sure that if people want to get you know a, a, like a few people will definitely be getting the print comics still yeah, okay and know. i'm sure there'll be an opt-in of some kind but uh you know or you uh, know
2: if there's a specific book they really love they might be able to get the trade well, or I, we'll you know we're just guessing but we're just guessing maybe at this point. maybe yeah, but on the know, other hand don't i don't know, know. it seems like like a reasonable thing to do i mean this way everyone can have their giant archive of dc comics And not have to buy another apartment or take up the entire office. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, you know, and on that note. uh, And on that note, uh, we're going to leave you for now, but there will be more to come. There will be.
0: More. To. to to
2: Come. (laughs) Shall we try this again? Sure. There will be. More. To. Come. Come.